0: The Trudeau government spent two months praising China, defending open borders and calling Canadians racist. But now we're supposed to praise them and stand in unity as they kill the economy and crack down on basic freedoms. I don't think so. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to do today's show a little bit differently because I think it's so important that there's so much talk right now about all the measures, all the increased measures that the government is taking to keep Canadians safe, to prevent the spread of coronavirus. We see massive outbreaks now in the United States, as well as things continuing to look really, really bad in Europe, especially in places like Spain, France, and Italy, although the Italy in Italy, the daily death toll has sort of flattened and is now actually going down, which is a good sign, although we're still talking about hundreds and hundreds of people dying every single day from this virus. So everyone's talking about how kind of Canada's doing the right thing now. Justin Trudeau has finally taken control, shut down basically the entire economy and our society. Um, provincial governments and local governments are increasingly cracking down on Canadians for doing basic mundane things like going to the park or going for a walk. So before we just sort of sit back and praise it all and accept it all, I think it's incredibly important to be critical at times like this. I totally understand that there's value in showing unity, showing solidarity with Canadians. The important message is that people stay at home right now, that we do what we can to prevent the spread in our own local, in our own direct, communities and in our own lives. We you hear so much flatten the curve, flatten the curve. I I I think that's all well and good, but I don't think that the government deserves a pass. I think it's important to hold them accountable, to be critical so that they don't try to do these things again. And we saw it last week when Justin Trudeau introduced legislation that was supposed to simply be an economic stimulus or bailout bill, basically a bill to reimburse Canadians for the lost work, for the fact that we have to shut down our businesses, the fact that we have to stop going to work, so the idea was just simply to reimburse Canadians for the economic loss from forced government policies. But instead, they sort of introduced a backdoor legislation that blindsided the opposition, uh, asking, basically demanding a power grab for two years, nearly two years, where they would have unlimited powers and taxation powers and spending powers. Fortunately, the, Trudeau go- the, the, the opposition stopped the Trudeau government. But that's just a perfect example of why we need to hold them accountable. And even the bill that they ended up getting still gave the government unprecedented powers for the short term, for the interim. It gave the finance minister powers to tax and spend. It gave the federal government uh, new powers under the Quarantine Act. And so not just uh, not just from a libertarian perspective, not just for libertarians, but all Canadians should be weary. We should discuss and talk about at least the sacrifices that we're making, the trade-off that we're making, and have a fulsome conversation about the pros and cons of the policy direction that we are taking. I've talked about this on the show in the past. Justin Trudeau likes to sort of shrug his shoulders. He did it again today during his press conference and just say, it's not up to politicians. We're only looking at experts. We're looking to doctors and epidemiologists, and it's not up to us, it's up to them. That, that is a cop-out, okay? That is just not how the world works. You're a politician. You're the prime minister of the country. There's always going to be competing data. There are always going to be scientists and experts who disagree with each other. And it is your job to choose a path, to to, to carve out uh, a direction for the country. And you can't just say, you know, don't blame me, don't hold me responsible. I was just looking to the experts. It's, It's fundamentally up to the politicians and the leaders of this country to make those decisions. So I think that before we, again, go and praise the prime minister for finally doing the right thing, which I think we're sort of going in that direction now with borders more or less closed, with bans on internal travel, with a call for everyone to basically stay at home, especially people who have been out of the country. There's finally a more mandatory 14-day quarantine, self-quarantine. But... let's go through how the government spent the past two months. So there's a really good piece in the Edmonton Journal. I know, I know, the Edmonton Journal, it's usually not my favorite publication. I went to school in Edmonton and I couldn't stand that paper. It was incredibly biased and left-wing, but for whatever reason, they came up with a great piece of journalism by David Staples over at the Edmonton Journal. And so they came up with a three part series where they are going to talk about how the government has handled the coronavirus from the onset, from the first time it sort of came up and we learned about this new foreign virus going around china china was lying about it china was trying to hide it so it starts in january this is going through january and talking about how the government responded uh what staples did here which just really interesting he sort of compared and contrasted what canada did versus what taiwan did taiwan is a small country off the coast of China, very close to China, very close economic and cultural ties to China, and they took control of this thing like from the get-go. They completely closed off their borders. They closed off travel. They stopped their citizens from being allowed to go to Wuhan. They stopped people from Wuhan from coming in. They really took control of their borders, and because of that, they've had virtually no cases and no deaths in Taiwan. So he he juxtaposes Canada's response with Taiwan while also talking about what the Chinese were doing, how the Chinese were hiding this and lying about this and doing things that really, really hurt the global community when it came to containing this virus. And interestingly, Staples uh, leaned on the National Review, which is a great conservative magazine in the United States who did their own timeline talking about China's Evil, evil misdeeds throughout the course of this virus. So what we learned is basically this is this is what it comes down to. The first months, uh, the first month of this virus, when it was just first being talked about, first being learned about, the Trudeau government basically did three things. They shockingly and kind of disgustingly, continued to praise the Communist Party of China, the Chinese Communist Party. So there's plenty of examples here. Um, on January 29th, Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Theresa Tam praised the Chinese response. She said this, What we have seen given my close communication with World Health Organization is how impressed they are with the work of China. The astonishingly rapid way in which they tried to get a handle on what is causing the outbreak and giving the world the sequence of the virus was very helpful. They've been providing information about cases which is extremely helpful. You've seen the incredibly extraordinary measures that China has put in place to try to contain this within its borders. I just don't understand why Canada's chief political officer is praising a foreign communist country, which, as we know, again, they lied about this disease. They lied about the human transmission. They uh, shut down journalists. They shut down whistleblowers, doctors and nurses who were initially saying like, hey, this is a big problem. Those people got reprimanded. They got removed. I mean, the Chinese government has just been terrible from the get go. So why is our chief public health officer. That's supposed to be a non-partisan, non-political role. It's not her job to be praising foreign countries. Leave that to the Foreign Affairs Minister. Leave that to the politicians. This is supposed to be a neutral, unbiased, serious doctor talking about public health, talking about the best health interests in the country. But here she is, again, praising the Chinese government. Dr. Theresa Tam was not alone in praising China. Uh, Canada's foreign minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, he, he, he repeatedly praised China, including in a bilateral meeting that happened on February 14th, where he openly, well, the Chinese embassy put out a press release saying that Canada had praised their leadership and really, really just laying it on thick. So in an interview on February 7th with Evan Solomon, which was on CTV Question Period, Minister Philippe Champagne Said that frequent communication with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has been a positive aspect of the complicated dynamics around repatriating Canadians from the hot zone of Wuhan. Okay, and Canada wasn't just praising China for their supposed great effort and sort of parroting the uh, the WHO's praise of China, but there were repeated questions by opposition members in the House of Commons asking the Trudeau government why they weren't taking measures to restrict travel from China, especially at a time where all over Asia, every country that was neighboring China was starting to put in restrictions. We know that Canada sees a lot of tourists, a lot of travelers coming and going from China, especially into the major airports in Vancouver and Toronto. So on January 27th, Conservative MP Todd Doherty asked the health minister, he said, Quote, every day, thousands of passengers from China and elsewhere in Asia arrive at our ports of entry, Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto. Oftentimes, they board domestic flights and connect through Canada and elsewhere in North America. Calling the coronavirus a grave situation, China has quarantined entire cities with millions of people. The World Health Organization now lists the global threat as high. The safety of Canadians is currently dependent upon screening in China and self-reporting by infected passengers. When will the government institute a real plan to include enhanced screening processes? And then in response, Health Minister Hadju says, in fact, our government has been well ahead of the World Health Organization strategies in terms of screening at ports of entry. We have multiple measures to alert travelers from affected regions about what to do if they suspect they have illness. We have trained our CBSA officers to ensure they have the tools they need to support people who may be ill. We have worked with partner airlines to ensure there is information on flight. So again, it entirely relied on honesty of individuals, of self-reporting, of people who are sick to sort of come forward and say, look, I have the virus or I'm ill. Whereas we know that no one no one was doing that. People weren't doing that. People were trying to, in fact, hide their symptoms and lie in order to do the travel that they wanted to do. That's not just uh, people from China. It's still happening today with Canadians trying to return to Canada amidst all the travel bans and all of the new precautions. So instead of taking the threat seriously and instead of Looking at where the origin of this disease was coming from, the Trudeau government took a totally different approach, and that was to essentially say that this was all just a matter of racism and bigotry on behalf of Canadians against Chinese people. So again, on January 29th, Dr. Theresa Tam said on Twitter... I am concerned about the growing number of reports of racism and stigmatizing comments on social media directed to people of Chinese and Asian descent related to the coronavirus. Racism, discrimination, and stigmatizing language are unacceptable and very hurtful. Again, that is a political statement. That is a political statement coming from a person who's supposed to be a neutral doctor. So how are we supposed to take Teresa Tam's health advice seriously when she's also sitting there pearl crutch? pearl clutching, and calling Canadians racist. The concern was not the stigma against Chinese people or people of Asian descent. The concern was not about racism. The concern was about public safety and our public health. The Trudeau government didn't seem to realize that back then. They didn't seem to care. And so they kind of fell back on th- their com- what they're comfortable with. And we know that Justin Trudeau is the most comfortable when he's standing on his high horse, looking down his nose at Canadians and calling us racist for any number of imagined reasons. And so Justin Trudeau repeats this language again. February 1st, he says, there is no place for discrimination driven by fear in Canada. As he delivered marks at the Chinese Lunar New Year celebration in the East End of Toronto, Trudeau condemned racism linked to the coronavirus outbreak which originated, as we know, in Wuhan, China. So instead of taking the threat seriously, they kind of fell back on their familiar territory of talking about how this is nothing more than just xenophobia. It's an excuse to, uh, for Canadians to just, you know, take off the mask and show our racist true colors. That's according to not just the liberals, but also our neutral. Public health uh, official, or top, the top doctor, or the top public health official in the country, Doctor Teresa Tam. So, 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 those are the two main approaches they took. First, first, they praised China. Second, they blamed Canadians and blamed it all on racism. And then on top of that, we've talked about this many times on the show, they defended their open borders. So they repeated over and over and over again that closing the borders wasn't going to help, that, that it wasn't going to stop the disease. Diseases know no, no borders. We, we, we have plenty of plenty of examples. So Dr. Theresa Tam on January 29th, she, this is from the Edmonton Journal piece. She spelled out her own philosophy with a focus on the main line of defense being the country's hospitals, not its borders. This is a virus that can cross borders. This is a layer of a multi-layer response. So Theresa Tam really kind of doubled down on the idea that she was more concerned about making sure that people at coronavirus were safely going to hospitals and that there was just no point in stopping the border because the border was not going to be able to stop this virus. She reiterated that on February 3rd. She said, the advice is provided to travelers. World Health Organization advises against any kind of travel or trade restrictions. This is February 3rd. The World Health Organization advises against any kind of travel or trade restrictions, saying they are inappropriate and could actually cause more harm than good in terms of our global effort. We had that reiterated by Health Minister Patty Haju, who said that the more countries that have outbreaks, the less relevant borders become. A virus knows no borders. And then Justin Trudeau, as recently as March 5th, March 5th, he says... He strongly affirms Canada's open border approach to reporters. He said, we recognize there are countries that make different decisions. The decisions we make is based on the best recommendations, the World Health Organization and the tremendous health experts who work within Canada and around the world. We know that keeping Canada safe needs to be done in the right way. We're going to keep doing the things that actually keep Canadians safe. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There is a lot of knee-jerk reaction. This isn't keeping people safe. This is having real challenging impacts on communities and community safety. So it's interesting that they basically spent more than two months from January 1st until basically the second week of the first or second week of March, reiterating this entire philosophy that they have, that, that, that they want to stop a campaign of fear, that they, they want to protect people from the Chinese community from a stigma and racism, that they want to keep the borders open. They they reiterated this. They doubled down on it. They said it over and over and over again. Meanwhile, meanwhile, this virus was spreading all over the world. It reached far, far off places, far away from Asia. It hit Italy. It's hit Iran. At this point, the numbers were really, really starting to look bad in those places. And it wasn't until basically mid-March that all these politicians kind of had their their eyes open, they ha- had an awakening, and they did an about face, and changed course on all of this stuff. So all the stuff that they had said before, they Changed. they did not about-face on, particularly the borders. So how are we supposed to sit here and praise them for closing the borders when they spent months defending the borders and, and, and during that time allowing the virus to get into the country to spread to a point where we can no longer contain it and we have to put the entire society and the entire economy on hold? Again, I, I don't think that we can just easily forgive them, but there's just so many people out there that say, look, now is not the time to have a political conversation. Jonathan Kay, who is the editor over at Quillette, which is a great publication, he's also a columnist over at the National Post. He he had a, a thread on Twitter, which I think represents what a lot of people are thinking. I, I just happen to disagree with this. So Jonathan Kay says, I see a lot of people tweeting about holding the Canadian government to account for screwing up the coronavirus response. Yes, they screwed up early, as did every country except South Korea and Taiwan. What's important now is a policy going forward not scoring points over the past, He continues, Canada's fortunate coronavirus policy is being conducted in the realm of adult discourse. This isn't the U.S. where states in D.C. are hashing things out based on tweets, Trump's mood, White House intrigues, and gubernatorial bluster. Focuses on policy. Plenty of time for political talk later. This doesn't mean giving the libs a pass on everything. Opposition parties were correct to oppose the Liberals' grab and no holds barred fiscal policies till the end of 2021. I don't see the point in obsessing endlessly over health decisions made months ago. Most governments made similar mistakes. One defining aspect of this pandemic is that government defaulted early to their baseline neurosis. This is an interesting analysis here. He says, in China, it was international image. In the US, it was Trump's ego and the economy. In Canada, it was fake racism, accusations and lectures. In the UK, it was populist skepticism. But the responsible leaders have moved on from that. I think people know that I like a good culture war knockout as much as the next guy and in some countries such as the U.S. those wars are inescapable because the political culture is so pathologized that even the grim reaper wears red or blue. This isn't Canada, let's keep it that way. I I appreciate some parts of that. I think it's interesting the idea that everyone kind of fell back on their basic uh, neurosis, he calls it, that in Canada the the impulse is to just blame a problem on fake racism accusations and lectures i think that's probably pretty true and i do appreciate that canada is a less politicized less popul uh, less a partisan country than the United States, that we can all come together and kind of get past some of the uh, political squabbles that we have. So I do appreciate that, but I just, I just completely reject the idea that we can't hold the government accountable. I, I don't think it's about scoring points. I think it is about holding government accountable for spending two months insisting on open borders praising the communists in China and scolding us as racist instead of taking the tough measures that were implemented. There were a lot of people saying, look, we need to take these tough measures. The Trudeau government rejected it. And if you read through the Edmonton Journal article that, again, I say is really well done, you should go check it out. One of the things that they were really concerned about was, again, protecting the minority Asian community in Canada, which, again, is all well and good. You need to protect minority rights in any country. But they were so concerned about trampling the liberties, the civil liberties and economic freedoms of people who had just come from China, that they refused to take any measures. And yet here we are now at the end of March, and they've taken those measures for the entire society. And I didn't see the same sort of caution and trepidation about doing that to all Canadians, that they were so concerned about doing to a small group of a subset of people in Canada just one month ago. So I I think it's important that we hold them accountable, like I said. And it isn't just that. It isn't just that, there's a lot of misnomers that are being put out there. So basically the Trudeau government has done a complete about-face, and now they're entirely just so concerned about stopping the spread that they're willing to take any measure possible, any measure possible, including putting millions and millions of Canadians out of work. And so when someone loses their job or when someone's business is teetering on the brink, I know that there are government programs that are promised to reimburse and compensate businesses, but that doesn't stop the fear and anxiety that so many business owners have about not being able to make their payroll, not being able to pay their expenses, what they're going to do. And, and the idea that the government is just simply able to write endless checks and sort of mend all of those needs is complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. There are... Thousands of thousands of Canadians that are going to go bankrupt because of this. Thousands and thousands of businesses that are going to go bankrupt, regardless of all of the measures that the Trudeau government takes. There are people who, let me give you an example. If you just open a restaurant, if it was your lifelong dream to open a restaurant, you borrowed, you saved, you did everything you could to launch the restaurant, and you launched it on March 15th. It doesn't matter what the Trudeau government does. You're not going to be able to bridge that gap and make it last. And even when this thing all ends, which at this point we have no idea when it will or if it will. I mean, we, we hear from the health officials that this could be months and months away, that we could be stuck in this situation until June or July. I'm, I'm sorry, getting 75% of the wages to pay your employees is not going to bridge that gap for so many people. And, and, and that's not to say anything about the sort of culture of young freelancers and people who run their own businesses, people who do startups, people who really need a good economy in order to just survive. Um, all of those people are going to be irreparably damaged. And so when you look at public health concerns, like you look at the public health concern about coronavirus, and I'm by no means trying to downplay coronavirus. I think that it is very wise and sage advice for people to stay home. I personally am now in my third week of, sorry, I'm now in my fourth week of being self-isolated and staying at home. The only time I have left the house in the last four weeks is to go grocery shopping, which I've done twice. Um, to go to the hospital when I got my own coronavirus test and I tested negative, and then just to go for family walks around the neighborhood with my husband and my young son. So I, I am self-isolated. I'm not going out. I encourage everyone watching this to do the same, to not risk it, to not go out. There's no, there's no real reason to. There's no point in doing it. But that said, I think that the, the policies that this, the government is taking, and not just in Canada, but all over the world. The idea that we're just gonna sort of press pause on the global economy, hope that the virus will pass, and then we'll press unpause and the economy will somehow be exactly the same. I think that's a very, very risky policy. I think it's a risky decision. It was made hastily, and we don't know, we don't know how it's gonna turn out. We don't know whether that's gonna be the right choice. We don't know at the end of all of this if we're gonna learn, like, hey, the coronavirus, Uh, mortality rate is less than the seasonal flu. We all kind of overreacted. Yes, we know that it's much more transmissible. It spreads a lot faster. It's much more contagious. But we could learn that it's much, much less deadly than the flu. And there are plenty of experts and epidemiologists. There are plenty of epidemiologists out there who believe that that when this is all said and done, we're going to learn that the mortality rate for this thing is less than the flu. So. Yes, I think hopefully, hopefully, what happens is this thing goes behind us. We get a vaccine, we get a, a treatment for this for this disease, and it we stop in its tracks before it gets as deadly as many predict. That's my hope. My hope is that we look back at this whole saga of 2020 and we think of it as the year we massively overreacted, the the year that we decided to tank our own economy, the the best economy the world has ever seen the year we decided to tank our economy out of an abundance of caution for a disease that turned out not to be as bad. That's that's what I hope will happen. I'm not saying it will, but I do think that it's important to lay out the, the choice that we're making. And I, th- I think that there's a lot of people presenting a false dichotomy. I'll give you an example of, this is just a sort of a random guy on Twitter, but I think that his sentiment is what a lot of people on the left are saying right now, so I'll, I'll use it as an example. Um, he says to me, he says, uh, so, so in response to my, my point that I was making that doctors and epidemiologists don't all agree with each other, and that's the problem with just saying we're going to listen to doctors and epidemiologists is that, well, they don't all think with one collective brain, and there's a lot of different theories, a lot of different models out there, so you can't just say let's rely on what the doctors say because the doctors don't disagree. And so this individual he says and when the experts disagree do you err on the side of public safety or the side of profit because you seem to be advocating for the latter so i think this is a complete false dichotomy to say that on the one side we have public health concerns and the other side we just have like a bunch of greedy capitalists who want to make money um you know who cares if a lot of people die it's just all about the bottom line uh, that's a totally totally false dichotomy and it's very silly because we're talking about death and misery on both sides. Let's be clear. We're talking about people who, if if we decide to say, you know what, we're not worried about the coronavirus. Everyone just go about your daily lives. And you know what, we're going to lose like 1% of the population. Um, that, that That is a incredibly deadly decision to be made. And that's probably the wrong decision. But if we say the opposite, you know, we're going to do everything we can just to save one life. So every single person is mandated by law to stay inside their house and not leave um, we're also going to probably lose, I don't know if we're going to lose 1% of the population, but there are plenty of studies out there that suggest the economic misery and suffering that comes as a result of a global recession. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about basically a Great Depression and something that we haven't seen for a hundred years in this country. So let's talk about the health, public health concerns that come from a Great Depression. There was a study in the Guardian that found that unemployment causes about 45,000 suicides worldwide. And then this is a study from a few years ago, before any of this happened. We know that in Alberta, I've talked about this on the show before. There was a, a, a they looked at the, the University of Calgary looked at the suicide rate in the province during the sort of ups and downs of the um, uh, of, of the ongoing saga with the price of oil, and they found that for every one point that the unemployment Uh, rate increase. There was a 2.8 percent increase in the province's suicide rate. And just just keep that in the context of the fact that Canada's unemployment rate just jumped from 5.8 percent all the way up to 14 percent. All the way up to 14 percent. So a nine-point increase. Each one of those nine points could be correlated to a 2.8 percent increase in suicide. And it isn't just suicide that is a result of a, of a massive economic downturn. There are also all kinds of problems, everything from substance abuse to domestic and spousal abuse. Um, people get involved in the sort of underground economy, which could lead to greater crime rates. There are all kinds of unintended consequences that come from a massive economic downturn that need to be weighed against the health concerns that that um, is a result of coronavirus. So it's not simply about public health versus profits. No, it's the public health concerns of a global pandemic like coronavirus versus the public health concerns of a massive Great Depression, like the one that we've just plummeted ourselves in without any kind of a fulsome debate over the pros and cons of what we were doing. So basically, I just think that we should be weary of that. And that's to say nothing about the kind of ongoing kind of crackdowns, I'll say, against our civil liberties that I think are pretty much over the top. I I mentioned this, um, I think I mentioned this in the True North update. There's a park across the street from my house and I like to take my little son there. There's a a swing set and a slide and all the kinds of stuff that you see at a park. Um, Not a very busy park. There's not that many people that go there. Uh, But last week I woke up to see a Toronto, City of Toronto uh, employee with yellow tape taping up the whole thing, basically saying the parks are closed, you can't bring your kids to the park. I think that is massive overstep. I mean, I I, I go to that park every day. I see kids and families. Everyone just naturally spaces out. Everyone understands that we're in the midst of a global health crisis. People aren't really congregating. Like I said, I went for a walk over the weekend. and. Every time I saw another person, both parties would go out of their way to make sure that we weren't getting within the six feet. So whether that would be crossing the street or sort of standing aside so that I could push a stroller and go the other direction. Everyone is taking the precautions. There was not a single interaction that I had where somebody came within six feet of me. So the idea that we can't trust citizens to... Do this. We have to tape off parks. I think is really over the top, and that's not the only thing. Uh, Montreal closed all dog parks and community gardens. The city of Toronto closed playgrounds, dog parts, dog parks, and stopped gatherings. Ontario extended its emergency declaration, banning all uh, gatherings of five people or more. There was a self. There there was a mandatory quarantine. In a Jewish community in Montreal, the Tosh community, the Tosh Jewish community was placed under a mandatory 14-day quarantine on Sunday after 19 members tested positive. The decision to quarantine 4,000 members of the Hasidic community in Montreal has nothing to do with religion, said Quebec's public health minister, everything to do with epidemiology. So again, under normal times, if a community was just all of a sudden singled out and placed on self-quarantine, you know that the journalists and the left-wing activists would be Jumping up and down, ringing the alarm, setting their hair on fire, but they don't bat an eye when it's happening just because of this coronavirus. There's also been uh, plenty of arrests. A woman in Newfoundland was arrested twice in one week for ignoring a self-isolation order. Interestingly, this woman didn't have any symptoms. She wasn't sick. She didn't have coronavirus. She appeared to maybe be homeless. But the police just kept arresting a woman just for being out in the street, even though she wasn't sick. So I don't know exactly what she was doing. But again, um, you know, where are the civil, civil liberty activists asking about these things? And, you know, again, before shutting down of our economy, we know that nearly a million Canadians submitted an EI application. So they're already out of work. And we know that there are public health repercussions. So I just think we should have a conversation about it. I'm not saying that one way is right or the other way is right, but it just seems odd that in Canada we haven't had any kind of public conversation about this and everyone is just sort of united in standing behind the prime minister and saying, yes, take further and further tough measures. Don't worry about the economy. Don't worry about civil liberties. Just do everything you can. Uh, I think that, 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 that there should be more people pushing back against it, and I'm more than happy to do that. Okay, let's talk about fake news. Okay, this is sort of the definition of fake news because so the prime minister has been doing a daily press conference and then on top of that, the sort of cabinet that's in charge of, the cabinet ministers that are in charge of the coronavirus response team have been holding their own press conference and so that usually includes Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland as well as Dr. Theresa Tam and then a few other cabinet ministers, whoever is sort of relevant in whatever they're announcing or proposing. So last week, all of a sudden, All the journalists in those rooms cared about was this story from Global News. The story came from Mercedes Stevenson, who's a great reporter. And it was basically a speculation, though. The piece was... Trump looking to put troops near Canadian border amid coronavirus fears. The American government officials inside Donald Trump's White House are actively discussing putting troops near the Canadian border in light of U.S. border security concerns around the new coronavirus pandemic, sources tell Global News. So anonymous sources are the basis of the story, and it's kind of speculation. They're saying people, in sources are telling Global News, we're hearing that perhaps... Someone inside Donald Trump's White House are actively discussing the potential possibility of putting some troops at the border. And that was it. There was no confirmation. There were no quotes. There were no named quotes like, a quote where someone was willing to put their name behind it, it was just basically a story saying maybe they're kind of thinking about doing this. Um, if you had been watching those press conferences, you, you would have thought that there was like a smoking gun, like the, there was already military presence, that there were like tanks like lining up at the Canadian border to stop people from coming over. Because the media just totally overreacted. Every single question, okay, not every question. Many, many, many questions were being thrown at both the Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland asking about this, talking about this. Freeland gave this sort of long, elegant speech about the importance of rules-based diplomacy and the importance of the Canada-U.S. economic and trade relationship. And basically said this would really hurt the relationship we'd have. The journalists were just all over it. It sort of enabled their bias against the United States, their anti-Americanism and their hatred for Donald Trump to come to the surface, and they really pushed hard. Okay, the only problem is that the story didn't really have any basis in reality, and it didn't come to fruition. It didn't actually happen. So the very next day, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal that says the U.S. drops proposal to put troops at the Canadian border. The Trump administration dropped its consideration of plans to send U.S. military forces to the Canadian border to help with efforts to combat the new coronavirus, U.S. officials said Thursday, disclosing that decision after Canadian officials had strenuously objected to the idea. So, Just one day later, we learned that the story wasn't true. It was something that maybe they were talking about. Maybe it was a proposal. We don't even know if it had actually been agreed upon or if there were any steps. But it looked like, you know, there was sort of this win for Canadian officials. Like, Canada strenuously objected, and so the decision was dropped. I I I just think that this is the perfect example of the of the creation of a fake news narrative, something that never was going to happen, and then it didn't happen, but somehow it wrapped up an entire week of news cycle and news stories in Canada. Tons and tons of ink were spilt over a story that was never going to happen. And I I wanted to also just quickly give this one an honorable mention in the fake news category. So this is a... Okay, this is a poll that came out on March 28th, and it asked Canadians about the approval of leaders' handling of the COVID 19 crisis. So the question asked was There has been a lot of talk lately about the outbreak of the new coronavirus disease, COVID 19. Do you approve or disapprove of how each of the following leaders has responded to the crisis? Okay, so Francois Legault, the premier of Quebec, gets just an astonishingly positive response. 95% of respondents of polls, of people polled, said that they approved a 95% approval rating. That is wild. And then we see similarly high numbers in the, in the high 60s for BC Premier John Horgan, Ontario Premier Doug Ford, Deputy Prime Minister Chrystia Freeland, Prime Minister Dustin Trudeau, and Jason Kenney. They all range from 65 to 68%. And then for some reason, for some reason, the poll included Donald Trump president of the United States, who, according to Canadians who took part in this poll, only 20% approve of Donald Trump, 77% disapprove. So I I just have a couple of questions for these pollsters. Why would you include a foreign leader in this poll? If you're going to include a a foreign leader, why not include the president, China? China is the epicenter of this disease, of this virus. They were the ones that lied. There was a study that came out that said, had China not lied and had they given the information that they had when they had it, that this virus would have been contained globally by 95%. So 95% of the suffering and the death out there can directly be uh, linked to the Chinese government's response. And yet we don't see the Chinese government on this approval list. We don't see the Ayatollah of Iran. Iran is the second biggest outbreak after China. We, We don't see approval rating of any of the leaders in Europe that also allowed this virus to get to Canada. But for some reason, we have Donald Trump, and we know that Canadians, according to this poll, overwhelmingly disapprove, which also shows that, you know, we know that the Canadian media love to pick on Trump. We know that they create a straw man out of him, that they take his words out of context, and they use him as a punching bag. Anytime they want to report something negative, they kind of ignore what the Canadian government is doing. They don't bother digging in and looking into the Trudeau government. They just turn right to Trump, use him as a punching bag. And I guess 77% of Canadians agree with that media take on Donald Trump and they think that he is doing a bad job, which, again, is kind of interesting because this is a point that Jonathan Kay made. Everybody kind of screwed this up at the beginning. Everyone did it in their own different ways. And it's, it's more about how everyone's kind of playing catch up now. And I think you could probably say that Trudeau and Trump are in a similar position in that regard. They both should have done a lot more and they didn't. I will just say at least Donald Trump closed uh, travel from China. He closed travel from the European Union well, well before the Canadians did. And at the time when he did that, he was criticized by the media, by the Canadian media, for going too far and for being unfair and and saying, you know, another, another one of Trump's travel bans, this is Trump um, acting like a dictator, yada, yada, saying what they do. So I I just find it interesting. I have no idea why the Canadian polls included Donald Trump other than the fact they just wanted a punching bag. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will be back again on Thursday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.